Hello, and welcome to the final Racket Boy podcast, episode number 77. My name is Dave Heineman, and I'll be one of your hosts, and I'm joined, as always, by John Stringer. John, how are you tonight? I'm doing well. It's a, a momentous night, huh, in a way? It is, yeah. Uh, so I think hopefully we'll get this out for uh, by the end of the year. It'd be nice to have it out this week for Christmas, but... Uh, in any case, a little sort of uh, final parting holiday gift for our, our listeners. Um, after uh, more than five years of, of this show running, um, and I think three years at least with you, probably. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. About and more than half the episodes. Yeah, I came in what in episode thirty something, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe that's right. Yep. So, um, so I think, but we're, we're not going to do a regular show, uh, for this episode in terms of running down our pickups and, and those kinds of things. Instead, because it's the end of the year, we're going to do more of a, an end of the year type of show. I think we've done some similar kinds of things before and, uh, and also talk a little bit about the, uh, you know, look back on the, the five years of this show and, uh, we'll do more of that towards, towards the end of our discussion. Uh, but I thought it might be useful up front to just kind of uh, talk a little bit about why uh, we've decided to to bring the show to an end. Uh, if you're a regular listener of the show, you probably have noticed that, uh, especially the last half of this year, uh, episodes have kind of been trickling out, I think. What was our last one? Was it uh, October, maybe? Yeah, sounds about right. Uh, and before that, it was also maybe like mid-summer or something like that. Um, and uh, there, there's a number of reasons for that. Um Part of it, I think, is uh, just some conflicting scheduling, uh, so, some some technical uh, difficulties, both both on our end and on the, the end of the Racket Boy website. Um, and, uh, and at least for speaking for myself and John, you might feel I know you feel a little bit differently about this, but uh, I think just kind of a, a sort of dwindling interest in uh, in this particular show, uh, not necessarily in the ideas and uh, the idea of doing interviews and those kinds of things and, and having discussion around games, but uh, the idea of this kind of biweekly. Uh, at least ideally a biweekly or even a monthly commitment with uh, certain types of structured format and certain types of shows. Um, I, I think for me, at least I've just done it long enough that I'm ready to, to try something different. Uh, should I venture back into, to podcasting land? And I know you're, you're doing podcasting still for, um, RPG gamer, right? Yeah, I do some, yeah. uh, the backtrack, but it's not, I don't do it regularly. It depends on, uh, if there's some games that, uh, that they're discussing that, you know, I'm familiar with. So I'll, sometimes I'll go, you know, several episodes in a row. Then sometimes right, like right now I'm kind of on a break. I think my next show's in January. Um, so I know, I mean, so those were kind of my general thoughts. I know, uh, we certainly consulted. I think I was probably pushing harder than you to, to kind of wrap it up, but you, you certainly, I think conceded, uh, some, some of the, the rationale or do you have thoughts on, on bringing the show to an end? Uh, I mean, I was good to keep going. Uh, Though editing it maybe not be such a bad idea either. I know uh, neither of us really like to, to edit these very much, especially after the time spent talking and and then uh, editing is a lot of work. So that kind of is, uh, you know, we got families, we have games we want to play, we have careers. So going and spending several hours trying to edit this was kind of a drag. And I, I didn't even do it very often, so you can imagine. You've, you've done a lot more than I have. So uh, that and then, you know, just... Uh, you know, we we had trouble getting uh, our our shows uploaded, and so there'd be several week delay sometimes with uh, when we were recorded to when it was actually live. So some of the stuff we talked about was was no longer relative. Um, 
so things like that were, you know, it's you know, we spend all this time doing this and for what? So, yeah. uh, I'd still be interested. It's it's still fun for me. It's a it's a fun little uh, hobby type thing, which I can either do less or, or more seriously. Um, but it's uh, I definitely wasn't interested in trying to carry it with with you gone. So yeah, uh, I, I mean, and, and one of the things that, that you know, as we're talking here, it's, it's sort of occurring to me is that uh, in part because of the delays with getting things up, or just uh, you and me having conflicting schedules and difficulty always arranging a, a time uh, very far in advance. Often we would kind of like the night before or the day of, like, hey, how about record tonight? That that made it increasingly difficult to, to line guests up. At least yeah. I, in my point of view, this is sort of like, hey, how about this date and time? And it was always it wasn't always easy for you and I to kind of know in advance um, how much flexibility we would have. Part of that's my schedule changes a lot, and I know certain times of year yours does as well well I, I work late i think the biggest issue that may have arose in that is when we were trying to schedule <clears throat> excuse me the uh, charity podcast because we had to schedule me you and then two others so that might have mm. propped its head a little more or made it seem more with that one yeah made it seem more like an issue than it was but i think I think there's only a couple interviews where we ever really had to reschedule or one or the other of us couldn't make it. So I think so. as far as interviews go, we're pretty good about that. But I know towards the end, uh, you're having scheduling issues at some nights, and then I, I would have some of the other nights. But I think it was more just kind of coincidence and bad luck for the most part. Yeah. I mean, I guess in, in any case, uh, you know, regardless of some of the different reasons, I, I feel like uh, we, we had sort of hoped to put this out as kind of a regular thing of a certain alternating format and a particular quality. And, and uh, over the last uh, half a year or so, uh, that, that had stopped. And That's so, in, in my opinion, if we're not sort of doing it to the best we can, uh, there's no point in kind of leaving it kick well, around. Well, I think another thing, too, is you and I's interest isn't always in retro games. And being a retro mm-hmm. game site, we were kind of felt more forced to always talk about retro stuff, which we both love. But, you know, I, I go through phases. Sometimes I'm playing a whole lot of modern games, and then i got to sit here and talk about retro stuff that I haven't really touched in a while. Or, you know, sometimes I will go through a retro phase. So it didn't. It seems like we're kind of more limited to... Uh, and, you know, we get complaints, no, less modern stuff. So we're a little more limited, focused in what we really want to talk about. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I think that's another good point. And, and maybe when we talk a little bit more towards the end of the show about uh, future plans and things, we, we can come back to that a little bit. But, uh, you know, and, and just we'll, we'll mention this again at the end, but certainly uh, I know many of you uh, have listened to this show since the beginning of its run or since uh, early in its run or, or even just for the last couple of years. And uh, you regularly uh, respond in comments or uh, on Twitter or uh, in a few cases I've, I've met people in person. You've had nice things to say. And so certainly it, it has nothing to do with uh any sort of backlash from fans or, yeah. or any kind of uh uh you know problems with people who, who listen to the show you've always been nothing but supportive so this is just coming from from uh, myself and maybe to a lesser extent john with uh interest in moving on to to do some other things uh in in the future so uh any anything else on on this point for now or you want to go ahead and move into our discussion of uh stuff for the year uh, we can go along okay so uh because both John and I played, uh, I guess, a fair amount of things that, that came out uh, in 2014, as well as a fair amount of things that didn't, uh, we're not doing the kind of the typical uh, list of like best this or that of, of 2014. Uh, we'll do maybe a little bit of that. But I think instead we're going to uh, talk a little bit about things that we 
played this year enjoyed, things that we were disappointed by, things that uh, we're looking forward to. And uh, I can't promise a lot of retro talk necessarily, although there'll be a little bit of that certainly when we talk about pickups. But uh, we're going to go ahead and start with the most interesting news story of the year. And uh, I'm actually, I, I'm first on the outline here, but John, I'm going to let you talk first about what, why you put down what you put down. I didn't really think there was that much noteworthy news besides, you know, smaller scale stuff like console announcements or game announcements. It's kind of a typical fare. Nothing too crazy as the news front went on. I, I know yours was a big talking point. I, I guess I struggle to see it as a, a news item. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But I guess if that counts, that's probably one of the bigger uh, controversies maybe of the year. Yeah, but, yeah, that's fair. Uh, news, I didn't really know. Nothing exciting besides some, you know, various game announcements or uh, console changes or, you know, uh, updates and such. So, Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. It was compared to the previous year with new launches and everything. It was pretty pretty quiet on the news front. Um, no uh, sort of shocking new sequels announced or, um, like you said, no no kind of major updates to, to hardware. I guess the uh, 3DS is getting a, yeah. a, a new XL what? What are they calling the it? The new 3DS XL or something or something like that. Yeah, I don't. I, yeah, the new 3DS XL, right? So yeah, that won't I be mean, confusing. There's news. There just wasn't anything that stood out yeah. amongst other news. Just kind of you know, you look back in any year, it'd be the same kind of news, just different names. Yeah. Um, the the story that I picked out here uh, from the year is, is one that probably got the most coverage across game news sites, and and I think you're right. It's probably not a news story per se, and that is not specifically about a particular company or particular games, but uh, I'm referring to the the Gamergate controversy, and uh, there there was a lot of, obviously, uh, heated discussion on all kinds of sides of that poorly defined topic. Uh, It's it's interesting because in my years of being a person who follows video game culture and plays a lot of games. Uh, It is the first sort of mainstream game news story that people who don't play games have asked me about in person. Oh, right. Because, because they know, because, yeah, I was thinking maybe because they know that I play games controversy, like the hot coffee or something. No, no one asked you about that. No, no, I never had anyone. Hmm. No, no one asked me about that. No one asked me sort of to, you know, can you explain or what's this about or what do you think? But, uh, I've, I've had a lot of people uh, over the last several months who aren't gamers, who certainly don't follow gaming news, but because Gamergate got a lot of mainstream media coverage, I mean, it was, you know, there were news stories on it, it was in the New York Times, it was on TV news, you know, this kind of thing. Uh, they had some familiarity with it and, and generally a lot of confusion <laughs> about exactly what it is, which is kind of par for the course with Gamergate. And so I've been in this position several times over the last couple of months of trying to kind of explain what Gamergate is to people, and uh, and then also try to give my take on it. Uh, and I, I really don't necessarily want to rehash all of that here. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't actually know if we talked about the the issue in depth on the uh, on the show previously. But um, the it, just the idea of a a topic that kind of is so much inside baseball, so to speak, in terms of uh, the gamer culture and gaming press and so forth, that that had such a, a wide public appeal kind of made it the, the news story of the year for me. Um, and uh, it, you were pointing out that initially I had very little interest in the story myself, um, and, and I think that's true. I think it's a, it was generally... Uh, some fair criticisms uh, of both sort of 
you know, the people, fair criticisms to some extent of the industry being made and some fair criticisms by the industry being made about some of the, uh, the, the, the worst elements of gamer culture. I think there were fair arguments on either side, but then of course the most vocal people kind of spun those out into hyperbolic uh, claims and attacks and other kinds of things again on, on yeah. all sort of all sides of this thing. And, and that those sort of extreme elements as happens in most politically charged debates kind of came to stand in for what may have been a more sort of focused, balanced claim. But uh because this was a lot of hyperbole, I didn't really have a lot of personal investment in it other than that I followed games and game culture. But then uh, a couple of weeks after a lot of the main stuff hit and the Gamergate uh, main group of folks who were trying to, to lobby against the game journalism industry turned their eye towards uh, academia and uh, started making arguments about connections between uh, people I know personally and uh, people who do academic studies of games and making all these claims about their politics and their beliefs and their uh, strong influence over game journalism as an industry, which is just sort of laughable. Um, <laughs> it's, it's the idea that uh, people read academic journals in general is quite laughable, unfortunately. But uh, so anyway, I, I kind of had some interest in, and some debate and discussion around that. Uh, probably a couple of weeks after the the main Gamergate controversy broke, but uh, anyway, that was that that was my story of the year. Yeah, I kind of followed it for the first week or two when there was actually somewhat interesting stuff being said and taking both sides, and then as it kind of spun out of control, I lost interest, and it was just kind of blah blah blah. Same, it's just more of like one side yelling at the other side because they're on a side; they don't really know what they're saying anymore. So, right, right. So I basically kind of got tired of it. Yep, uh, and and it's had, you know, it's had some time to kind of drop out of the headlines. But I, I'm surprised that uh, it, it's still, you know, every couple of weeks you'll hear something surrounding its aftermath or some new thing that the the people who are most associated with it are, are now working on and engaged in. So I think it's going to have, at least for a while, some kind of a, an impact on how games are covered and uh, how people think about game coverage. I don't, I don't think, I think it'll be a conversation that lingers a bit, um, how long that lasts and how significant that is remains to be seen. Well, I think the argument still will. I don't know if it's really going to be Gamergate or, or that you know, gamers versus others thing might co still go, but it kind of seems to have an explosion every now and then on Twitter. And that's mm -hmm. what's interesting is that's where most of the discussion, debate, or argument, or whatever you want to call it, has occurred. It seems and on, harassment yeah. on Twitter, which, as you found out, I think discussing this same topic, that it's a difficult platform to have any kind of meaningful debate on. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a public one, so people often will, and an anonymous one, potentially, right? So, uh, the, the sort of, what's the the uh, internet fuckwad theory, right? <laughs> the idea that anonymity and yeah. the internet uh, allow, allow people to be the biggest asshole possible. And um, <laughs> uh, I think you get that uh, in general uh, when there's debate to be had, but something charged and so associated with one's hobby or, or identity in many cases like this. Uh, it just, again, it's a lot of extrapolation into hyperbole, right? Yep. yep. So anyway, uh, we'll, we'll move on to talking about actual games then and uh, move into our biggest disappointments of the year. Uh, since we switched to the last one, I'll, I'll just go ahead and start with this. Um, my, my biggest disappointment, and it's not a horrible game, but it's just one I'd hoped to have a, a, a lot better time with, and that was uh, Infamous Second Son. Um, 
I, I just found the game to be probably a step back for the franchise. The uh, I I'd played the first one, quite liked it. I played some of the second, and and I played the standalone expansion in the second, and I found the the gameplay to be greatly improved, and the the characters a little bit more interesting, and just kind of everything I liked about the first was was enhanced. The third one felt slower you know, in Second Son. It felt slower. The characters were sort of irritating i suppose uh in the first one they the first two the main characters sort of had this comic book hero dimension to them and it was you know sort of a paper thin character but that worked for what they were trying to do try to introduce some complexity into the characters that uh, i didn't feel they did a very good job with in in second son and uh i don't know the, the missions were pretty much all the same um less variety than than in the first two i i just played Sunset Overdrive for the uh, Xbox One, and um, it's it's a somewhat similar game in that you spend a lot of time free roaming a city, doing all kinds of uh, interesting parkour type movements and shooting along the way and that kind of stuff, and just the variety of in, of uh, missions and, and the stylistic choices. I just I just thought were leaps and bounds uh, better than the most recent Infamous, which is kind of what I was comparing it to as I played and it emphasized for me sort of how sad second son actually turned out to be and, and what it perhaps could have been uh, other than just a good looking game it's certainly a good looking game but it didn't play real well uh, did you did you try that have you played the infamous games no at all? i haven't i kind of no. skipped those kind of sandboxy jump around the city kind of games don't really interest me too much yeah, have you have you ever played any of them? Uh, what infamous? No, but other kind of action. Yeah, I've played them. I just kind of I just cause and uh, yeah. So there's a few others. I mean, they're they're cool, and then I like play them for a night or two, and then I'll be like, meh, I don't really want to go back to them. I, I they get old yeah. to me fast. I guess I need more direction. Yeah, I, I every time I play those games, I sort of play them very quickly through. Like they're not a game that I feel compelled to to want to come back to and remember what's going on and where I have to go and and whatnot. But that's my uh, problem. If I'm sitting there playing yeah. it, I'm like, hey, this is this, this is cool. It's not so bad. Right. But then if I put it down, odds of me picking it back up again are very slim. Yeah. Yep. But. Uh, so anyway, that was my most disappointing game of the year. And again, it's not a bad game. If if you you know, I think it's I've seen it down to twenty bucks or so now, and that's certainly a fair price for it. But uh, I, I bought it at release, and and I I definitely feel that uh, it was underwhelming. <laughs> so what about you? What was your disappointment of the year? I have some similar thoughts probably about mine as you did about Infamous. Um, it's not a bad game. It's probably uh, the foundation. Uh, I've talked about it before in the forums. The foundation of the game are very solid, but it would be Destiny for me. Um, I think it's a victim of its own hype, especially for what I was hoping it would be. Uh, watching it, you know, the previews, I was really excited about this game, and I was, remember thinking, you know, this is what you know. I'm really going to start enjoying on my PS4 to play is Destiny. But it, it, it I think it is going to be more MMO cross shooter. And it's kind of just like a light version of both. And to me, it was very repetitive. The content was kind of laxing. Uh, kind of the, the story is pretty bad. I didn't care about anything. I just wanted to skip through it all to you know keep the mission going. The the whole player network thing just wasn't really there. You know, restricted on who you could talk to and. I guess if you already had friends, it wasn't so bad, but trying to, I don't know. I, I'm a long time MMO player, so 
I guess I had higher expectations about that some of that stuff going into it, and when it didn't, it, you know, it's kind of like MMO light, and it barely met the, you know, the the bottom or minimum of uh, some of the stuff you could do, and some of the other games it just wasn't enough for me. And then I felt the matchmaking multiplayer stuff wasn't that fun, and the guys who had the the better gear had the advantage, even though it, it kind of basically the, the guns would shoot faster. Yet they had the same normalized damage, and you mean the PvP yeah, stuff? The, yeah, yeah. So that it, it just seemed like it, it's worse than a Halo game at PvP. It's worse than an MMO MMO stuff. You stick them together, you just have an eh product. Uh, the game, I will say, the game is beautiful. It's one of the best looking games I've played. The shooter mechanics are pretty solid. But it's just the overall content, and it is basically just do the same. There's like five or six different same uh, different maps, and they're you kind of keep doing the same missions on the same maps with the you know hoping for these little drops. And I I got bored of it and stopped playing really. So I actually playing that kind of spurred me on, or kind of like spurred me on to go and get the new WoW expansion that I've been playing with my wife because I kind of got a little taste of it. I'm like, yeah. I did this stuff, kind of stuff in WoW, but it was a lot more fun than that. So I've been playing that again, and that's probably I don't know that, that might be up there with one of my games. Was uh, was was WoW? Uh, was that your first MMO that you ever spent time in? No, it was no. no I played a, a kind of crappy EA MMO called Earth and Beyond. I played uh, uh, online Diablo Two. Uh, really, is an MMO, but it's probably more like Destiny. Mm-hmm, uh, yeah. And actually, I played Diablo 3 this year, and playing Destiny after Diablo 3 expansion, Rebirth Souls, was also a letdown to me. I felt they have the same kind of, all the, the actual gameplay mechanics are vastly different in the style, you know, shooter versus uh, overhead. The the way the multiplayer aspect kind of plays out and, the, you know, is similar to me. And uh, Absolutely. Yeah. I felt I much preferred Diablos than Destiny. So these, I guess, expectations and... Uh, uh, preconceived thoughts about how these sorts of games are supposed to play out and how I enjoy them were not met with Destiny. So I think that was what helped kill it for me. Wait, so uh, uh, just one question for now, I guess, and that would be, uh, you know, one of the criticisms is that you were hoping for a stronger story. Um, that would have been nice. My, my, my understanding is that that's generally not an expectation for an MMO. Am I mistaken there? Like, is an MMO... Uh, able to really tell a cohesive, interesting, compelling story? And, you know, what would you, what would you have liked Destiny to have done well, on that regard, I guess? there's story, and then there's also lore. WoW doesn't really tell much of a story. It does have some, but it's really, really rich in lore and all the little things and the details in the world that it builds. That's a mm-hmm. strong point. Games like Knights of the Old Republic had a really awesome story involved with the MMO aspects. Um, I didn't play it all the way through, but I played some of it, and it was very intriguing. There's so some do the story thing right, some do the lore thing right. Destiny's world just felt like generic, kind of Halo-ish feeling. I just didn't. I didn't care for any of the characters. I didn't care for the world. It was just like here's a little space area, and then you know you can't. You couldn't. It's basically. The, the MMO, MMO aspects were like they had this little one little hub area where you can go to and see some other people. Otherwise, they stick mm-hmm. you straight into a planet. It's like a, basically a, a first-person shooter map. So, there's, right. and that's it. There's no 
exploring, really. There's no, you know, it'd be nice if you have a ship and travel from planet to planet, kind of free roam. None of that was there. So I just, it, it wasn't what I expected. Did you ever do any of the raids? Uh, the in-game raids? I, I yeah, did some mm-hmm. of the strikes. I didn't do any of the raids at the end. I couldn't make it mm-hmm. that far. So there's a lot of people who uh, have argued that that's sort of Destiny's best feature, right? Is uh, like the Vault of Glass and yeah. uh, the, the new, you know, like that. Uh, but see, I've done that, that. That turned the corner for a lot of people. I've done real raids, like I do raids in WoW, and they're I, I've read. <laughs> they're what, more. They're more real than the ones in Destiny. They're not more real. They're more involved. <laughs> you said they're real, huh? <laughs> you said you've done real raids. I'm like, what do you mean real? Like, what makes them real? I don't, I don't. If I said real, I didn't you, mean to. Yeah, you said. You said I've done real, real raids. <laughs> I think oh, I was, really. <laughs> uh, I think that didn't mean to say that, but okay. no, I've done the big raids in WoW, where you know you have twenty people, twenty five, even forty at the at some of the older uh, versions of the game, and you you act cohesively together. You have you know specialized skills. The classes in Destiny all kind of felt the same, with only like a special being different than one another. It didn't require as much teamwork. A lot of the bosses were to me hide, shoot into a, a HP sponge, hide, shoot into an HP sponge. Oh, uh, heal my teammate that fell down. Kill these little other guys that are running around trying to kill me at the same time while I'm hiding from the boss. There's no real. It didn't seem. I know a vault of glass required some tactics to get some shield down on a guy or something, right? Am I right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. that's just kind of compared to some of the teamwork and complexity in some of the boss fights and games, you know, other MMOs like WoW, Guild Wars 2, Final Fantasy 14, games such as those, it, uh, it's not even near comparable. Really. Well, see, in, in the in the in the vault of glass raid, there's also a lot of um, sort of movement tactics that you have to do, either either collectively how you have to move mm-hmm. through space, and um, there's stealth stuff, and there's uh, you know there's, there's a little bit more to it. But, you know, before you're even getting to the places where you have to coordinate in the heat of a battle, there's there's lots of uh, like jumping puzzles and uh, enemies that will instant kill you if they see anyone on your team and that kind of thing too. Yeah. So, anyway, so that was your biggest disappointment. Uh, that's we'll, we'll come back to Destiny a little bit later. I have it in another category <laughs> here, so uh, we'll say a little bit more about it then. Um, what about uh, most looking forward to in 2015? So, uh, why don't you go ahead and start with this one, too? There's several games I, I'm interested in. Probably the biggest one is going to be Pillars of Eternity, which is uh, the Obsidian game. That uh, is kind of an homage to the old Icewind Dale, Baldur's Gate, and I played some of the beta, and so far it's pretty spot on. So, uh, yeah, I think we discussed uh, this game some with uh, Chris Avalon when we interviewed him, and I kickstarted it, and uh, I've been eagerly waiting for it for a while. I, uh, I should enjoy it. Now, uh, isn't the the Planescape Torment sequel supposed to come out this year too? Yeah, I think so, and that's that'd be another one I'm looking forward to. Yeah, I, I was I was kind of when I saw you put this one on here, I was curious why you how you made the selection. Of I really the others, haven't I seen pla- anything from Planescape yet, whereas I've played a uh, a demo or beta, sorry, of uh, okay, okay, of Pillars of Eternity. So I have really more to go off of. But yet, I have played Wasteland Two this year, which I really enjoyed. So I assume it's going to be like that. So I, you know, really, um, um, they're both exciting. I actually, I, I could you know, interchange them probably. They're interchangeable. Yeah. Um, 
for me, I, I had difficulty coming up with anything that I know that is definitely coming out in 2015 that I, I wanted to put on here. Um, there, there's stuff that I think is coming out. I, I think there's going to be a new Uncharted, um, for example, and that that has me interested. Uh, I, I, I know that uh, I don't know enough yet about um, like Halo 5 to know whether or not you know I should be looking forward to that a lot or not. Um, and uh, there might you know there's a couple other things I, I, I know are in the works, but uh, I guess one thing that I'm pretty confident should be out within the next few months would be uh, what I put on this list, which is downloadable content for uh, Dragon Age Inquisition. Um, I recently finished up the the campaign, the main story in that. I think it took me a little over 60 hours, maybe 65 or so. Um, that was with leaving a lot of side quest stuff still undone. Um, I probably have in side quest stuff alone another 30 hours that I could easily sink into it. And that's without sitting there and reading all the codex entries and everything else. It's uh, just, just running around and playing and picking things up and talking to people and so forth. So, uh, in, in some respects, I don't need a lot of DLC because there's still a lot I can go back and do. But on the other hand, uh, I've, I've really liked all of the DLC stuff for that series. Traditionally, uh, Dragon Age Inquisition was probably the best game that I played, uh, this past year. And uh, so I'm just really looking forward to see what they what they do with it. There's uh, the ending of the game is interesting, uh, without giving anything away. It just you know makes you want to kind of keep going. And uh, so I'm hoping the DLC can do some of that. And uh, yeah, I know we'll talk about Dragon Age a little bit more later. But uh, do you suspect that you'll get to uh, Inquisition in the near future? Yeah, well, I've been wanting to. I need to beat two first. I have a. I'm probably a little over halfway on that one. And, I, I want to play this chronologically. Uh, I have a feeling had I played Dragon Age this year, it would really be up there in, in contender for my game of the year as I, I really enjoy the series. and uh, What I've seen so far is promising. It looks like an improvement over some of the, the last two games. So I'm excited yeah. about it. I just, uh, I'm also of the type where I have to do all the side quests. So it'll, it'll be a very uh, big task to uh, take on. You know, believe me, I started that way. Like I, I because and the, the way that the game is designed, like uh, there's all these things on the map for you to do all the time, mm-hmm. right? And and so uh, it's very easy to go into this game with the mentality of you know, oh, well, let me clear all these things, and then I'll move on to the next part of the story, and then I'll move on. You know. um, and you you may have seen like people posting uh, like, hey, you know, get out of that first area of the game. Like, don't spend forever there because you can spend fifteen twenty hours just in that first area, and then you find out there's like six areas that are all mm-hmm. just about that big, and and, um, and and all with that much stuff to do. And so uh, it's very easy to to spend more time doing side quests than than you might need to. But the nice thing is that uh, when the game is done. Ninety um, percent of the side quests you can still go back to, so you don't you're not like closed off from it. You can finish yeah. the story and then go back and do all the side quests, and it still builds your level and and does other things for you that I would assume would would be helpful in um, DLC content and so forth. So you know you're not you're not sort of stuck at that moment in the game where like you better go do everything now before you advance to the final. So that was a was a nice way to handle that. But. Uh, yeah, so anyway, uh, that's that's what I'm looking forward to. Uh, I'm looking forward, I guess, to uh, maybe something for the Vita coming out. I don't. I feel like I didn't see anything come out for the Vita this year that uh, was interesting to me, and I, I'm wondering if that's a, a dead handheld. No, I, um, I think they announced a bunch of stuff coming out soon, too. Oh, did at they? At that PlayStation Experience. 
Oh, okay. Several All PC right. games. So what, what's coming out? Um, Indie PC games? Yeah, so having good, the PC already? <laughs> you might, may or may not have them. Yeah. yeah. But uh, what did I get this last year on the Vita that interests me? Oh, yeah, Final Fantasy X Remake. I got Conception 2. Or did I get that on PS4? I'm, I'm holding Freedom Wars in my hand, which is one that is supposed to be decent. Yeah. I'm going to try that at some point. It kind of looks but... like a modern take on a Monster Hunter game I didn't care for. Yeah, but it's got it got some some people who really love it, and it was I got it really cheap on uh, Best Buy for like twelve bucks. So it's not bad. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, let me look. I know I got some. I picked up games this year for it that that definitely interested me, but I don't think it's a dead handhold. It's not going to be what some people would want it to be, but it's for me. It, it gives me a bunch of indie games and a bunch of more obscure. Japanese titles that I enjoy, so that's uh Yeah, there's no no shortage of the um this you know, small five to fifteen dollar indie games. Which is mostly what I play on it. And I guess uh Borderlands two came out this year. I've been playing that on it off and on. See but I guess I guess what's missing from it is um sort of major like Sony studio based franchise uh, games that, that, that I was hoping would, and you don't care, but I was hoping would, we'd see more of, I mean, they had a couple at launch and kill zone came out later, but I, I would just like to see more, uh, you know, triple a handheld titles. Yeah. Um, and I think instead we're going to get these, these ports of, um, indie games and smaller and the smaller games can be great too. I know that's kind of how the PSP ended up its life, but it also had a period of getting a lot of, uh, you know, Games with a lot more budget behind them too. Yeah. Oh, I like it. It's well. I also like it. I can play all my PSP games on it. PS One Classics. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm not planning to get rid of the Vita or anything like that. I think it's a great handheld, but I just would like to see. I, I guess because I enjoy playing on it, I'd like to see more. Yeah, for sure. Big, big titles on it. Yeah. For the health of the system, I would like more big titles. I doubt I would even play them myself, but. I yeah. prefer the those little niche games on that where I play the big titles like, on my PS4 PC. Like it's weird. It's weird. There's no God of War on it, right? Yeah. Like you'd think that, uh, or or more first person shooters that uh, were designed specifically for it. You know, especially given the second analog stick, right? That was a big. So there's no sports games for it. Like Madden doesn't come yeah. to it. NBA 2K doesn't come. Like no, you know, all of these things which you would think would <laughs> be staples are not there. So, but. Anyway, all right, so let's go ahead and uh, move on to the next category. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and start with this one. This is the our, our best pickup of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think we talked about this a little bit beforehand, uh, both of ours for that matter, but uh, over the summer, very, very early in the summer, I picked up uh, the vast majority of the sort of pre-seventh generation collection uh, that belongs to our... Uh, our sometimes producer and editor, uh, Apple Queso. Uh, she was moving and uh, wanted to uh, raise some funds and clear up some space and, and part with uh, a lot of 8 and 16 and 32-bit stuff and uh, I think some, some PlayStation 2 games and so forth as well and um, some earlier stuff. And so uh, she had put up sort of a, a Super Nintendo collection and uh was going to part it out piece by piece over time, uh, and had really what I thought were very generous low prices <laughs> uh, when she originally posted it. 
And so seeing that, I, I offered to uh, buy that lot and whatever else she might want to put up just all in one swoop. And so we negotiated a price, and, and I did that and uh, got something like six very large boxes delivered to my house <laughs> um, full, of, uh, full of her collection from which I was able to uh, pull out some things that I'd been wanting for a while that uh, were, were hard to come by or hard to come by for a good price and uh, and sort of keep those things and uh, break even and maybe make even a little bit uh, after selling the, the stuff I didn't want. Um, but uh, I, I like to have a find every year that more or less finances a good chunk of what I spend on the hobby over the course of the year. I know that's that's kind of how you approach it, too. And so for me, that was something I was able to do in, in almost in one fell swoop for the year. Um, I think my, my spending for the year is down dramatically because I was able to find that from what it would have been otherwise. Uh, but what about, what about you? I picked up that uh, large NES collection from uh, a guy locally. Uh, basically, I think it was $300. It had a top loader. It had Mighty Final Fight, Snow Brothers, um, several other 40 $50 you know, dollar games, like Dragon Warriors, I think Darkwing Duck. Uh, really a bunch of good titles that I helped to... Uh, uh, fill out my NES collection, and then I sold some and mm-hmm. uh, got my money's worth plus a little bit on it. So definitely added some rarer or more sought after NES games that that have uh, some you know pri- you know pricey tags on them, and uh, for a, uh, a pretty good deal. And just had to take a short little drive. So I think uh, several people on the forums actually uh, bought some of those uh, extras that I had. Yeah, 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 and I still have some uh, pieces kicking around from Apple Cases collection that I've been uh, debating putting up. Or uh, th- there were some things that need a little bit of TLC. That was also part of the the reason that she was uh, happy to sell the whole thing to me is that some of the systems had missing cables or cords, or some of them needed some cleaning and work to to be working. So, like for example, there was a um, um, Model One Sega CD that. Uh, was was not working when it got here, and I've had to take the thing apart and sort of clean it out. And uh, I've gotten it now, so the door won't stick, and it seems to be playing. And I need to put it through some more paces, but you know, it took some time to kind of get all that stuff cleaned up. So there's probably a few more things from that collection I'll put up before the year is out. But uh, yeah, I, I think some of it will go to the forums anyway. Yeah. But um, which I guess is a good way to transition into the the next uh, topic, which is another one in which you didn't put anything down. Uh, <laughs> but that is that is the uh, the Racket Boy thread of the year, um, and I, my, mine's just kind of an easy cop out because it's just one that I like to spend a lot of time in, and I I wanted to uh, mention it one last time since this is our last episode, uh, and that is the the annual Games Beaten thread. Um, this year's obviously it's the 2014 thread. I would assume there'll be one again next year in 2015, and, and they've had one for uh, five years or so now. But uh, it's just always a blast to kind of track what it is I'm playing. I know you've been doing that a little bit more in this thread this year yourself. Yeah. Um, it's it's interesting to kind of see a tally. It, it, for me, it motivates me to to get a game done. Um, it, it helps me plan and strategize. You know, if I want to hit a certain number by a certain time, how to to plan my game time accordingly. And uh, it's been over the years uh, extremely helpful in helping me move through uh, a backlog that I know a lot of our listeners probably have themselves. And I don't know that I'll ever clear everything in it, but I, in large part because of the, the sort of discussion and motivation 
in that thread uh, have you know been pushed to, to probably play a lot more games than I would normally. So that that's that's probably my favorite thread on Racket Boy every year, and so it's it's not. Not necessarily always my start of the year, but this year it was an easy pick. I couldn't find anything else that I thought was uh, so momentous or, or so interesting that it had to go on here, um, other than you know maybe some of the discussions in our perennial threads. So, um, and, which is probably I guess why you didn't put anything down here either, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, there's interesting threads that I, I've been participant in, but going back and actually trying to remember one, it was difficult to pick it out. So I just. Uh, I guess really just listen to the last the past shows if you want to hear ones that <laughs> I yeah, enjoyed. Right, I, yeah. I couldn't really nothing seemed worthy over another. Yeah, I don't. I couldn't even remember what any of our forum threads of the Fortnite would have been at this point. So I remember there was one. I remember we had a show where we talked a lot about people complaining about the Retron Five. I know that was a very active thread for a while. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't know. So some other some other threads along the way that people were debating and arguing in. But uh, like that, the Wii U thread, which is a couple years old thread now, um, that one regularly kind of engenders debate about people who are disappointed in Nintendo or who think Nintendo is sort of on its way uh, out in, in the console business and people who are kind of uh, strong defenders of Nintendo or really love some of the franchises and are uh, you know, not expecting or wanting them to go anywhere. And, and so that's always some kind of interesting discussion in that thread. But again, not a, not a new thread this year. Yeah. But all right. Well, then we'll go ahead and move on um, to uh, and actually let's go ahead and flip these last two categories. <laughs> right. So um, we'll we'll start with our uh, game that we played this year. Uh, it was our game of the year that was not released in 2014. Um, and uh, I'll go ahead and let you start with this one. Well, this is I had to pick a game that. Or at least I told myself that I haven't played or I haven't completed before, as I, yeah. I played Ogre Battle again and and the Tactics Ogre. So those are some of my all time favorites. Favorites, but since I've already beat them before, I didn't I didn't count them. But uh, I actually did beat Dragon Age Origins. So uh, I played it before, got about halfway through, as I've talked about before, and lost my save. So I actually played it from start to finish again, and uh, really enjoyed it, and uh, spurred me on the, in the, the DLC and then Dragon Age Two. So that would be my you know, the best game I played that I hadn't already beaten that was not released in 2014. <laughs> so you you had played, do you think maybe half of it before, or a little bit more than that? Yeah, about half. Maybe a little more than half. Yeah. Uh, a close second would probably be the uh, the Walking Dead season one. Oh yeah, that was mm-hmm. uh, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, that's that's on my to do list. I played the uh, the first episode of that on uh, PlayStation Three, mm-hmm. and. Um, I think I'm intrigued enough to continue with it, but not on the PS3 because it's really buggy and horrible. I'll do it on PC. So I'll, I'll probably play it on PC. But now I have to you know, I go back and play the first episode again. <laughs> season 2 is on sale right now for like $6. Oh, yeah. So. yeah. Well, we'll see. I'll at least play the first season. and They, they kind of always go on sale anyway. So. Yeah. But, um, what about you? Yeah, I, I put two things down here, uh, neither of which I'd touched prior to this year. Uh, and actually, the first one is kind of related to a hardware problem of my own, too. So um, I'd never played any of the Thief games before. Mm-hmm. And so I, I uh, knew that the first one and the second one especially are kind of heralded as these genres unto themselves. And they uh, 
set a lot of precedents that people point to as, as being important in, in other games that I like. So went back and played the uh, the first Thief and uh, got about halfway through the game, really enjoyed the, the design of it and uh, the world that is created and is fairly rudimentary uh, at the time, even uh, 3D engine and you know, I, I quite enjoyed it, but then along the way, my my computer crashed. Um, I, I don't remember if it was my motherboard or a video card. It wasn't a video card. It was a motherboard. I determined was probably the biggest culprit or the biggest problem or some combination of things. But in any case, I was overdue for a new computer, and um, so I I put together a brand new PC. Uh, it's I think a pretty nice machine. And the first thing I wanted to do when I fired it back up uh, was was to play Thief Gold again. So have this you know high end graphics card, and I'm playing this game that's. 15 years old or something now. Um, but I just, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I played through it to the end and, um, uh, was glad to kind of experience that, that type of game. And I'll, I'll play the second one at some point. I've heard it's quite different in many ways, but, uh, I'm, I, I know people like it. I'm a little bit nervous because of some of the things I know that are different make me think I won't like it, but I'll, I'll give it a try probably in 2015. Um, and then the other game I played, which was also sort of a, a subgenre that was relatively new to me, was a game that uh, had been selected for the Together RPG Club that that you run, yep. um, which is uh, Eye of the Beholder. And uh, yeah, I, I I was not able to get through that game without uh, the use of uh, some maps, and and I didn't sit here with grid paper and you know do do the, do the graphing myself, but. Uh, I found some grids online, and, and I found in the book there's some helpful stuff. I found a copy of the um, a PDF copy of the original manual that you could buy, like the the guide or whatever that you could buy, like when the game was released. And I used that a little bit, so I certainly had some help with the game. And I think to a person with uh, more modern sensibilities in the RPG genre, that would be the way for for someone to probably approach it uh, after at least trying to to play it without those things. But between having the maps and uh, uh, the help of people on the forum. If I had a question or two, I, I just really liked the aesthetics of the of the game, and I really liked the uh, the, the the feel of the. Uh, I played on the Sega CD and um, uh, used the the Sega mouse, and uh, I, I for whatever reason it was weird because the the Sega mouse has buttons on top that you're supposed to translate to the ABC button mm-hmm. of the Genesis pad. Um, but on the CDX, it, it didn't do that for whatever reason. Like some of the buttons translated, but some of them didn't. Um, and I tried, you know, like using the mode button or switching controller ports and all these other kinds of things. But, uh, so what I ended up having to do was basically like a mouse and keyboard approach. And uh, I had a controller plugged into one of the ports and the mouse into another. And the controller would allow me to like click on some things and I would have to move the mouse to, uh, click on some other things and move to some other. So it was this kind of strange setup that probably most people aren't used to playing when they play that game, which where they're just using one hand. Um, but uh, it, it added, I think, a lot to the experience for me, and uh, it was it was a it's a fun game. Um, did you? I know you played it. Some did you get through to the end of it? Or no, not? I ended up getting stuck or not stuck. I just kind of stopped playing. It was it was interesting to try, it, but it seemed like one of those that. It's almost too old school in some ways. I know these type of games really have a big following. Those aren't necessarily my RPGs of choice, though. I played some kind of the, the first person dungeon crawlers. So yeah, I kind of get irritated at the the way you move and flip screens and and such. But uh, I was enjoying it. It just seemed like it was going to be a lot more of the same over and over. So I kind of 
I had other games I interested me more than that at the time. Yeah, no, it's definitely a lot of the same, and uh, the, there's uh, plenty of backtracking and finding obscure things and hidden doors and all, all that kind of stuff. So um, it's not <laughs> it's not very intuitive, and it it I, I couldn't imagine trying to play it without the internet or without or at least without the guide. And uh, well, so so having those things made it a lot more enjoyable. To a lot of people, I guess that was a lot of the part of the the charm or the lure of those is some of the difficulty guess, and yeah. the challenge of figuring that kind of stuff out and drawing a map and all that. But yeah. I, we're kind of spoiled by modern games now, I think. Yeah, well, it, it prompted me to play um, some of the Legend of Grimlock game. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll probably finish that up at some point. I think I cleared the first few floors of it and um there, there's some sort of more modern updates to the, the basic formula there that i think work pretty well yeah um but uh yeah i mean it's it's a lot of the a lot of the stuff that i think people liked then you can still experience the same way even with the guys and stuff like there's there's something about the com- way the combat works or something about the way that the the levels are kind of disorienting that i think adds a lot to it mm-hmm. so Anyway, okay, so uh, let's go ahead then and talk about the game of the year that was released in 2014. Um, And and I guess I'll go ahead and start here, uh, since we already talked about this game a little bit. But uh, I don't think that this was the best game that that I played this year. Uh, I sort of hinted earlier that that was Dragon Age Inquisition. But the game that I spent the most time with and probably had the most just fun with uh, is Destiny. Um, I, I think like your criticisms of the game are, are pretty, uh, pretty true. I think that they're, they're pretty astute and not, uh, m- most of the criticisms that I've heard of destiny are, are, are fair. Um, I've not played MMOs previously. And, uh, so maybe that critical angle is not present for me and kind of how I'm experiencing the game. And uh, that might be part of the reason why I, I like it so much is it's something about the MMO experience that I'm enjoying more so than the Destiny experience in and of itself. Mm-hmm. But it does feel like, I mean, I had previously, I'd played a lot of Diablo 3, including some some online and, and end game content. And it feels a lot, uh, like you were saying, like Destiny feels like Diablo 3 done in first person shooter form. But kind of dumbed down in some of the uh, some of the statistical categories and some of the way the loot works and, and that kind of thing. But uh, that that was fine. I felt that what it kind of lacked there, it made up for it, for me at least in kind of more compelling gameplay. I, pre- I tend to prefer the first person shooter genre over the isometric uh, dungeon crawler genre. Um, they're both fine, but uh, you know I, I play more first person shooters and I've always liked Bungie's work and so. Yeah, I mean, it was it was fun to go on and, and clear the the game itself. I think I have probably uh, around eighty five or ninety hours in the game, so that's quite quite a bit for me at least for for any game. Um, the uh, the the certainly part of the experience is that I played a fair amount with uh, people I knew. So, for example, in the um, in the beta, uh, I played with uh, with my brother and uh, a couple guys from the forum, and then on the PS4, I've been playing quite a bit with uh, Ian Wares uh, from, from the forums, who's uh, in Australia, and so uh, he's he's been sort of good to to go through missions with, and he spends a lot of time in the game, like he's sort of really dedicated to it. So uh, he's been very helpful as a guide along the way with um, some of the more kind of obscure parts of the. <laughs> 
destiny economy, uh, which again, I think is a kind of a very flawed, problematic economy. They're encourages grinding in ways that are just sort of a bit ridiculous. And, and so, like, I think the game is really has a lot of flaws, uh, but there's something about just the, the gameplay, the, uh, you know, playing with people through, through some of the missions and, um, th- that I just, I found to be a lot of fun. So I, you know, game of the year for me at least is just kind of the game that i had the most fun with and spent the most time with it's not necessarily i think you you probably chose things that you thought were the best games uh that you played in terms of their overall quality production and and those kinds of things and and my reason for picking that game was was a little bit different than yours um but anyway i know you don't like destiny (laughs) again it's not one of those Hate it games. It's more of a you let me down, so I like you less than I probably would have game. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, like, sort of trying to grind through the the levels yeah. was uh, was fun. I mean, like I it was it was ridiculous, and it forced you to do a lot of things over and again. And uh, but uh, I don't know, I did something about it that was quite enjoyable. That's, I guess so. that's where I think I got to level fourteen, and I'm like, I don't really want to play you anymore. I yeah. just got. Oh, then you weren't even getting to the point where you have to do the sort of more grindy aspects of it. Yeah, I've done grinding you, before. You can, you, yeah, you, you should be able to just kind of clear the story uh, at, at, and, and hit the soft level cap. Yeah. So, you know, I, I would, I, and that's what I've said to some people, like, you know, the story is, it is shit. It uh, makes no sense, and you don't care at all about the characters, even though the world is very pretty. Um, and, and what you can explore and take a look at is pretty cool. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not... It's not compelling for reasons of story. Um, or world. It's, uh, yeah, I, well, I, I guess I'm not sure if I agree with that one. I think that there's enough to kind of run around in these. They're fairly large maps, and there's a lot to run around and look at and see. And um, there's, uh, and you said there's like six levels, but really there's, I think, like six different planets with probably a half dozen levels and a strike mission or two on yeah, each of them. Yeah, but it's the so, same exact map, yeah. though. Uh, well, okay, but you can't. You can't get to all of the parts of the map on on all the levels at all the time, right? Like, yeah, but it feels like the size was like a, a normal first person shooter level. Uh, I, I don't know about that. Yeah, it's like a Halo level. The size of each of those planets. Yeah, I feel like they're bigger uh, than, than like a, than uh, like a Halo multiplayer map or something. Not a multiplayer map, like a single player mission. Single player mission, yeah, maybe, maybe some of maybe some of the later Halo games had levels that big, like Reach or something. Like but, all of them. Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> Those maps really so, aren't that big, especially when you in Halo. When you, no, no in, in Destiny. Oh, in Destiny, no, they're not that big, but I think they're they're bigger than uh, most. You know, unless it's an open world game, they're bigger than most first person shooter maps. Multiplayer maps, yes, but yeah. Single player yeah. missions, they feel like about the same scale. Yeah. But, uh, Maybe. all right, my game of the year. No more Destiny talk. Yeah, we're done with Destiny. <laughs> uh, this is kind of, it was kind of a toss up for me. Well, I'm playing Warlords of Draenor for World of Warcraft, and that's a lot of fun. But being an expansion, I have a hard time giving it my game of the year, though I've been pretty addicted to it recently. Uh, that would mm-hmm. be one. Same thing with, like, Reaper of Souls for Diablo 3. That really fixed up some of the issues I had with uh, the original release of Diablo 3 that the, yeah, the yep. uh, patch loot 2.0 right is pretty sweet yeah so that that is nice and I, I re- we put a I put a lot of hours in that with you know my friends and family but those are uh, 
I guess, expansions. So they're not, you know, new games yeah. all on their own. So it's, I guess maybe it's a distinction I shouldn't make. I don't know. But uh, I really, really liked The Wolf Among Us, which is uh, mm-hmm. another Telltale adventure game. Uh, I liked it so much I went and bought all the hard copy Fables comics comics and read through them and kind of really mm. got engrossed in the world so I I, uh, I liked it a lot more than I thought I would I think yeah. they did a great job with uh, the look and feel of it the um, it was just I just kind of got sucked in I guess I should say so, so you liked it more than the Walking Dead games so. uh, you know I, I definitely like it more than Walking Dead season 2 I felt that wasn't quite as good as it's still good but not as good as season 1 um I, do you do you watch The Walking Dead and familiar with the series? Yeah, like, are I've you read all the comics. In that? Okay, yeah. okay, all right. See, I, I was I I have no familiarity with that, and I've always wondered if that colors your your view of the game as much. I've read all the comics. the The game's more based on the comics than it is the movie. And I think the uh, sorry the the, uh, the show, the comics right. are uh, I think better material wise than, than the show, but I still like the show too. So yeah, I do like that. Maybe it's because. Uh, Maybe it's because I've read the comics first for The Walking Dead, and I'm already so familiar and into that world that the game... I mean, the first one was really, really good. I, I really liked it. I you know, I sucked in as well. But The Wolf Among Us kind of opened up the Fables world for me, so maybe that's why it may hit me a little more. I'm not sure, but uh, it'd be really... It's really close. Okay. The, the mechanics of... The Wolf Among Us and Walking Dead Season 2 are better than the first. The first is a little more clunky with what you can do, and the, some of the gameplay is improved. So maybe that, that's another aspect. But the, the story for the first season of Walking Dead is really good, and uh, I also like uh, the story of The Wolf Among Us and the uh, the feel, kind of the noir feel of it. But uh, mm-hmm. another one that's really close with that, it's kind of a toss-up, would be the Banner Saga. I know uh, we've talked, I've talked about that a lot. We've interviewed them, and I actually sat down, and when I finally played the release copy of the game, I think I was at home sick, or I had some. I was at home, and I basically played it through in almost one sitting, if I'm not mistaken. So I was really yeah. hooked and, and really enjoyed that. So, however, there for the the next release, there are some things I'm like, you know, it's really great. It would be better if this, this, and this happened, and I think they're going to do that. So, uh, while it was great, I still had some things I wish were different. In, in some respects, okay. to make it a more uh, a fuller experience, but I, I love that kind of uh, tactical grid combat and the the game is you know the art style is amazing in that game. I really love the way it looks. The the music is awesome, so it has all these things for it. And uh, uh, I kind of really enjoyed. You know, like I said, I I played it from start to finish and wanted more. So whenever I do that with a game, uh, I know I had a good one. Uh, another contender is Wasteland 2, but I haven't quite finished it. It's a really long, big game. Um, yeah. There are a few little grabs I have with that game, but it's uh, it's everything I kind of wished for when I uh, or hoped for when I kickstarted it. So it has not let me down, even though it's not perfect. So uh, that would be in consideration as well. But I think uh, overall... Uh, those other two games are probably a little better, but I've I played a lot of good games this year, and uh, you know a lot of people complain about this being a down year in games, maybe for some of the big consoles, but I think uh, PC gaming has uh, been pretty strong. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I'm looking at my uh, my Steam list. I, I've 
I need to get back and play Banner Saga. So I have, <laughs> I have 12 minutes <laughs> logged yeah. in Banner Saga. So I must have watched the intro and done like the tutorial <laughs> or something. And, uh, and I actually have 45 minutes logged in Wasteland too. Really? So. Hmm. Yeah, look at that. I gotta give that. Some Banner more time Saga, too, I think, point. for like noise, it was a little slower. Him getting into it, but then he PM me yeah. uh, maybe a few weeks later. It's like, dude, I love the Banner Saga now. It's really awesome. So, I think uh, yeah. once you get past that, it's not this and it's not that. It's its own game and kind of get into it. It's really fun. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's one I'll probably. It, it's coming out between the Vita. it and Wasteland. I'm more inclined to to head back to. And I don't want to buy it again. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm happy to play it on the PC. Yeah. So. But uh, cool. So overall, 2014, you think was a pretty strong year for the PC, and and uh, not as not as bad as people are seeming to be thinking it was. Yeah, I mean, it's maybe not as many big blockbusters as some would like. As far as you know that you know, maybe some of the big blockbustery type games were kind of let down, sir. So didn't sell well. or was weren't as critically acclaimed as years past. But I think a lot of the uh, more niche stuff really scratched the itch for me. Yeah. I, I wonder if uh, our listeners would be disappointed if we just had that entire discussion and didn't mention either the Wii U or 3DS at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, well, you know, I did. I enjoyed Mario Kart. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I had fun with that for a little while and uh, played with my wife and some friends. And I... Uh, Super Smash came out. I have, I've only played it like once, and it's not bad. I enjoyed it. I just, I think yeah. WoW has uh, been the it's been the victim to WoW. But no, that played that. I've been playing Theater Rhythm, Curtain Call, and the 3DS, and that's fun. But it's not a kind of it's not the kind of game that would be ever like a game of the year. It's more of like a yeah, let me lay down and play this for about 15 minutes before I go to bed type of game. So it, it's yeah, it's good, yeah. but not a. Not a game of the year type contender. Yeah, no, I, I Mario Kart is still fun. Yeah, it's still Mario Kart. <laughs> um, I, I'm sure Smash Brothers, if you like Smash Brothers, is still fun and still Smash Brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, yeah, I don't have much to say. I, I, uh, I did start Bayonetta two, but I, I'm only maybe like an hour into it, so I don't really have too many thoughts on it just yet. But uh, yeah, otherwise, I don't, I don't have much to say about that system. So. Anyway, well, let's go ahead and, and move into the uh, last bit of the show then, uh, where we, instead of talking about one year, we'll sort of talk about five years, uh, which is to, to reflect back a bit on the uh, the show and its run and what we've done along the way. Uh, I asked for questions before the show, as I typically do in the, the thread, uh, and didn't really get any questions, at least last I looked, other than, well, you know, what did you like about the show, favorite episodes, and, and things that we'd been planning to talk about anyway. So uh, I guess we'll go ahead and, and talk about that. Um, and uh, the first thing on here was I, I thought we might talk a little bit about how we got involved in the show or why. Uh, and I kind of remember why I wanted to do it. Um, <laughs> the uh, The idea was kicking around on Racket Boy for some time uh, about possibly having a podcast associated with the show. Uh, and I remember I'd been on the site for, I've been on the site since December 2007, and probably after I'd been around for about a year or so, people kind of started kicking around the idea of, uh, of doing a podcast. In early 2009, there was some more discussion about it. And uh, it was something that uh, I had interest in trying. I, I liked the idea of, uh, 
doing a, a show where I got where I would, might get to talk to people who made games that I enjoyed, and uh, I knew that uh, I'd listened to at least a couple podcasts that I thought did things well and, and that I'd like to, you know, try my hand at. Um, I thought about, uh, the idea that, uh, I could do something that since this was a, a retro gaming site might be a bit more historically focused and, uh, could kind of borrow some conventions from, uh, like how, uh, NPR does some of its interviews, like people like Terry Gross and stuff like that. And, uh, so, you know, I, I also had this, uh, long pre pre college interest in uh going into sports broadcasting As a matter of fact uh, when i applied to syracuse uh out of high school i applied to be a, a broadcaster and uh, uh in high school i used to do some call into the radio stuff and, and that kind of so i also had this kind of hobbyist and in, interest in in doing radio type stuff i have a face for podcasting <laughs> And, uh, so anyway, uh, these, these things came together and I figured, well, I, I have some time, especially in the summers and, uh, some flexibility and some interest. And, and so let me go ahead and try my hand at it and, uh, got in touch with, uh, Nick, the owner of the site and, uh, sort of ran the idea for the show by him and, uh, talked a little bit about general ideas of the format and some of what I just explained and, uh, told him that, you know, I didn't have any real good equipment. I didn't really have a, you know, much of an, much of a connection with people in the industry other than just maybe, uh, so, some ideas of people who might be approachable and, and that kind of thing. And, uh, so he, he very graciously, uh, sent me out a mic, uh, and, uh, offered to uh, be a guest on uh, one of the guests on early show. I think the first show and, uh, and put me in touch with another person or two that he knew. And, and from there, uh, started, started doing it. And I think over the years, it certainly changed a lot, even before you came along. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's for a while we had some theme music for uh, a while. I thought about doing kind of, uh, editorial pieces within the show. I think we did that for a little while, even still when you were here where we would do an editorial or I think were you were you around when I think we had JT come on and do an editorial. Or was yeah, that, I was here. Yeah. We kind of discussed it. Yeah. So, I mean, I played around a little bit with some segments here or there or some ideas or things like that. But generally, the, the show for uh, the first couple of years, uh, the first 30-ish episodes or so, was was primarily just me doing interviews, um, usually with one person per episode, although there were a couple episodes where I, I had a, a few folks or I did a couple of listener request shows where they said, hey, go try to find this person, and, and I would do what I could. Um, but... Uh, yeah, that was that was kind of how it got started and, and how I got interested in it. And I guess I got enough good feedback and, and got some good guests and, and started really enjoying uh, actually sitting down with people and, and having the success of, of chatting with people I'd never had a chance to chat with and never thought I'd get to chat with um, and ask them questions that at least I thought were, were good questions. And uh, people tended to be pretty complimentary of my interviewing style when I would talk to them. I don't know if they were just blowing smoke up my butt or what, but uh, it, it seemed like a, a nice sort of diversion once a month to, to do and um, a way to get more interested and invested in the hobby and, and maybe give something back to it. And uh, uh, a couple of years into that, uh, I, I got a bit frustrated with the constant editing. <laughs> uh, I got a bit uh, busy with other things and, and concerned about my, my interest in the format. And, uh, and we had some listeners wanting to hear more from me and, and opinions on things going on as opposed to just kind of strictly an interview based show. And, uh, at that point I put out a call for, uh, least possibility of a co-host and that's sort of where you came in. Yep. 
So why don't you why don't you explain a little bit about that for yourself? How did how did you what made you decide to respond to that call? What kinds of hoops did I make you jump through? <laughs> that kind of stuff. Uh, well, yeah, you put that out there, and I I, I play as some of you listeners know in um, Madden and NCAA football leagues year round for the most part, and I had done a few for fun podcasts uh, as a guest or helping out another guy for you know the activities in the league, and I was like, yeah, that's kind of fun. So I had already done a couple of those, and that was my really only experience with podcasting. And then I saw that, and I was like, yeah, you know what? It would be kind of fun to sit around and chat about games and such, and and record it and then see what people thought and listen to it. So, and you know, interviewing people in the, in the industry sounded fun. So I'll give this a try. And so I was like, screw it. I'll try it out and applied. And I think you, uh, you had, I think we had to answer some questions like why we wanted to do it and, uh, have a little, uh, test run, uh, uh show that we did. Mm-hmm. And he was like, all right, let's do it. So, that's basically how I started. <laughs> it's not yeah, as a, I, think, I didn't have as many grand uh, designs. Grandiose yeah, ideas, like, yeah. <laughs> like Dave did. It's more of like the, you called it out, and I thought about it. It's like, yeah, that would be fun, and then I answered. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was you probably got a sense of this when I uh, sent you like a list of questions and had all that. Like, but I mean, my my planning for the show at the beginning was was very. Um, it's sort of very tactical and, and grand. Yeah. It's because my concern was in approaching the idea, you know, approaching Nick with the idea would be like, he'd be like, well, why should I, you know, like you've never done podcasting. Like how do, why do you think this idea would be a good one? So I, I tried to kind of set up the pitch for it in a way that it would, it would answer and, and address all those questions and show that I'd done my thinking and my homework. And so, um, I, I've always kind of thought of the show in very, Mm-hmm. Uh, strategic ways uh, from its inception, and and I I carried that into uh, thinking about okay, well if we're going to change the show and we're going to do these these other kinds of shows as well, and we're going to have a, another voice on here, um, how do I do that in a way that that I think still adds something and fits to the model, and I know this person will be good to talk to and will be you know, reliable and and has you know so I I was very tactical and in, in kind of how I did the the uh, interview process and so forth as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm watering it down a little bit. I, I think I did yeah. have some ideas and uh, yeah, thought about did. it. Yeah, absolutely. I think we yeah. actually did some of the ideas, or at least we both had kind of similar ideas, like the talking about what games we've picked up recently to kind of get the collecting and uh, uh, thing aspect going. I think I also uh, wanted to incorporate the, the form a little more into the show. And get the. I think if you have involved listeners, you have more interested listeners that'll keep coming back because they feel like they're a part of uh, of what yeah. they're listening. So those are. Uh, I think you kind of agreed with a lot of the things I had, or had similar ideas yourself. Of, but those two off the top of my head that I remember that I was thinking that uh, the show could add to, to go alongside with the interviews to really. Uh, I, th- I think uh, you can have pe- casual listeners that'll just kind of listen in if the the certain interview, uh, the first per- certain person being interviewed interests them. But to get them to keep a, a, a listening fan base, uh, you know, we you know, episode to episode, I think if you get them involved, it'll it'll make them a little more committed to to listening every week. So that was yeah. the plan, at least, or, or an idea. I, I kind of wanted to. Like, what, what, if I were to listen to a podcast about retro gaming, what would I want to listen to? So I kind of yeah. try to do it that way. Yeah, I mean, and, and yeah, and part of my thinking of bringing you in was that I think you had at you know at the time and and throughout uh, the time we've done this, you've done a really good job of sort of uh, complementing my own 
particular interest and expertise in, in gaming, right? So, uh, like, I like RPGs, but you're, I certainly don't have the expertise in them the way that, that you might. Um, you know, I, I enjoy PC gaming, but uh, you, you have a uh, an interest in, I think, more of that history uh, than, than I do. And, uh, you know, so I, I, think, I think that there's some areas in my own interest and knowledge base that uh, that you were brought on in part because you compliment, and I thought that would provide a more interesting discussion, allow us to cover a, a broader range of things with some expertise and and at least some some sometimes intelligent thoughts, <laughs> so that we weren't both kind of looking at a subject and saying, uh, um, "Well, I, no, think I think that helped." One big thing it added when you have another person as opposed to by yourself is humor. I think it's it might be kind of hard to get some humor and jokes and. Obviously, there's no back and forth discourse if it's just yourself. Like you're gonna joke on yeah, joke yeah. about yourself, or you know, it's. Uh, but if you can kind of bounce stuff back and forth between a couple hosts or even guests, that uh, and get people to kind of to laugh while they're being informed or li- listening to something interesting, I think that uh, that helps enhance uh, a show as well. Yeah, I, de- I definitely feel like uh, you know, in, in the episodes where it's just me and you bantering back and forth, there's certainly a lot of humor and, and laughing. I don't, I don't know if the audience finds it funny, but <laughs> it certainly makes it it certainly makes it funny for me mm-hmm. and enjoyable for me to to you know have you rib me or vice versa about this or that or uh, sort of laugh at some ridiculous thing that you know is pertinent to the show. So uh, yeah, humor is something that I. It, I think is is hard to do. Um, it's hard to do in a podcast format, especially without just kind of coming off as uh, some sort of a, a morning zoo type <laughs> DJ person, like you know, um, with pranks and, and I just think I think like there's a a stock way to do that on real radio that uh, we didn't generally succumb to in in podcast radio, and uh, I think I think it worked pretty well for us. Um, but uh, well, I was looking at the uh, this next thing on here where we have our our favorite episodes, and uh, I, I actually think you and I have the same favorite episodes. Um, we, maybe not from from the period where we're working together, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. But um, so let, let me talk about the two that uh, sort of before you came to the show would be two of my favorites from that time period, and then we'll we'll talk about these other two kind of together. Um, and, and the two that I picked aren't necessarily two best shows uh, by by any stretch. I don't think they necessarily had my best questions or, or even the best guest or, or those kinds of things. Um, but the, the first episode was what it was. I think it was a good start. But the second episode, uh, I was sort of shocked that I was able to get for episode number two, um, two sort of giants, in, at least in my eyes, and I think in, in many people's eyes, of... Uh, sort of classic gaming history in, in getting Eugene Jarvis, who uh, did Robotron 2084 and Defender and Smash TV and uh, sort of a rich, the Cruisin' series, a rich history of sort of classic great arcade games. Um, and uh, and then Mark Turmel, uh, who had also for a long time worked at Williams uh, and, and did a lot of really interesting stuff. Both of them came uh, separately to talk to me on uh, on Skype, although I think at least with one of them, we used a telephone, and I had to record it that way, uh, to, to talk about their work on NBA Jam, which was uh, certainly the favorite game of my youth and probably one of still one of my favorite games of all time. Um, 
And just just the idea of me being able to do that, like sort of sit down at a computer and have this discussion about a game that had always been my my favorite, one of my favorite games anyway, for a very long time, and talk with these people with such a rich history in the industry and, and be able to talk with them about that game and talk about other things that they had done and how they'd seen things change. Like that episode sort of very early on, for me at least, kind of set atone for for the kinds of things that i i might be able to do and i think you know in the time that i was doing the show by myself as well as the time that I've done it with you um all of the best episodes have, have been those where we really ask guests what what i think are interesting questions that get them to give answers and talk about things that they might not normally talk about that don't sound sort of like typical pr speak you know that that kind of push them um past past those things and i think you know, for that episode, and I know both you and I for, for the things that we've done in the time since, um, you know, those interviews are sort of grounded in a lot of, of research. Uh, we, we read things about them. We read things that they've interviewed previously. Uh, at least for me, I know sometimes I'll listen to or watch clips of them talking and, and really try to know the guest really exceptionally well before I ever go in with the first question. And uh, so, like, that show did that by and large and and there were shows that did it better later but just the kind of the, the prestige of the guests and and i think the idea of how to ask some questions well that all came together very early on so that was a a really key episode and then uh i did three live shows at uh the too many games convention in in uh, outside of philadelphia pennsylvania which is a couple hours from here and uh I uh, got to meet some interesting people at those and, and got to do some interesting uh, panels with guests. And uh, I, I just kind of picked one of those. I picked the third one as, as another favorite episode because it was the last one that I did. Um, but it was also the one with the, the fullest audience. Um, I think there were probably, uh, you know, at least the room was probably at least three quarters or so, you know, around 100 people, 75 to 100 people or so. Um, and I don't think they were necessarily there for me per se. Uh, I think they were probably more there to, to listen to the guests that I was interviewing. But um, every time I did a show at Too Many Games, I had a pretty nice audience there. Uh, had a lot of fun kind of trying to do the, the show in front of people. Um, a little bit different setting, a little bit different format, but uh, that, that kind of immediate response from the audience and, and getting people to uh, enjoy it in person and then hearing their thoughts and so forth afterwards was, uh, it was kind of for me as fun, right. To sort of see that the show have some kind of in, in public in real life publicity and presence, uh, was something I, I think if the show had continued, uh, in, in the future years, it might've been fun to try to do something like that at PAX mm -hmm. or, or some other context, but I, I don't think we're big enough for that. Like, I don't know that we have the, the listener size for kind of one of those big conventions so something like too many games is just kind of the the perfect audience with the perfect interest and the perfect size to do that in public and it worked really well so so those would be the two that i i think prior to you coming on were sort of shows that i think of fondly as as shaping the direction of the the podcast as a whole over the the five-year run um and then i so do you think we we have the same uh, favorite episodes in the time that you've been on in the last couple of years? Yeah, I believe so. Well, I think I had mine and you kind of merged them together. I wrote yeah, so well, why don't you go ahead and start talking about well, it? Really, time in. my most memorable and probably favorite episode episodes were more of the interviews. I think a lot yeah. of the generic uh, or normal episodes, you want to call them, I enjoyed them, but they they feel like more like one big long thing, kind of just in episodes, you know, like a, a yeah. continuing thread. So it's hard for me to go and pick out a single one that was 
better than any of the others. They felt kind of uh, the, the, you know, kind of consistently the, the same, I, though I enjoyed them. But they weren't, you know, as this one in particular was really awesome. You know, they're, they're kind of all on the same level to me. But uh, yeah. the interviews where I really got more involved with uh, and Jordan, the people who I really uh, would want to have talked to in the game industry who made games that I really enjoy were probably the most memorable. Um, uh, one being the Chris Avalone interview. Uh, we talked with him, uh, things like when I interviewed the banner shaka guys, I drove down to Austin to interview those guys at their little tiny studio and, you know, this little Kickstarter group and they're going to sit down. We had some beers and talk about their game. That was a, a first and a very cool experience that I, I really enjoyed yeah. that. Uh, let's see. I, I know I wasn't a part of it, but you interviewed David Gator the writer for Dragon Age series and uh, other Bioware games. And that was, at least as a listener, an awesome one to... I, I think that was that was high on the list of best interviews that, that I, I did. Yeah. Uh, and you helped with some of the questions on that, yeah. uh, even though you weren't there. So, I mean, it, it certainly you, you deserve a lot of credit for that episode as well. So but, him... Uh, yeah, no, I, I agree. Jordan Wiseman of Shadowrun and Battletech and MechWarrior fame. Uh, that was one of my, my favorites. He was a, a really good uh, interviewee. Uh, Trent Oster of uh, the Baldur's Gate you know, enhanced edition games. These are all, I remember doing these interviews and they kind of strike out. Uh, as far as non-interviews, probably our, our Paxi show, uh, one was, you know, how, how often does people do people do, uh, uh podcasts in, while driving in the car? So I mean, that, that one, you know, the whole Paxi experience is really fun. So that was all involved with the show. So, yeah, I think that was a, that was a great, uh, it was a great time in general. I mean, the, the PAX East shows, the inter- we, we had some, I did some PAX East stuff before you came around, and then we did some stuff together. Um, the, uh, my, my strategy at PAX East was generally to try to get a half dozen or more interviews and release some right around the time of PAX, and then others kind of trickle them out uh, over the months to come, especially if there was conflicts with other stuff going on. And, um, yeah, so I, I have a lot of fond memories of meeting and chatting with people at, at PAX East and interviewing, but, uh, the one that you were there was, was awesome because, you know, we got, that was the, we got a chance to meet and hang out. And, uh, you know, I, I think that that was, <laughs> that was fun sort of, uh, recording in the car, <laughs> like you said, and, uh, reminiscing on the PAX East experience. Yeah. We talked to the, through a bunch of fatigue. <laughs> we talked to the shovel Knight guy before no, anyone really knew what shovel Knight was. Now it's just sure, pretty big yeah. uh, hit now. And that guy was, he was a very interesting character. He was a fun guy to talk to, uh, that was that was a good one at PAX East. Uh, oh yeah, I met uh, a local developer, Bill Sternberg of um, uh, Z Boy Games. Final Z Boy, yeah, right and they're now. making that Cosmic Star Heroine, which was featured at PlayStation Experience uh, recently. Yeah. So uh, he lives locally with me, and I we we actually keep in contact via email, you know, just chatting about his game, other things in the industry, you know, he pick up an XRGB, Hey, I got this. And so I've kind of picked up a, a developer gaming, uh, uh, acquaintance or buddy now that I, I talk to. So hey, you get these connections in the industry and he's a, he's a very interesting guy who makes games. I really enjoy. So some, uh, cool things, uh, I've, uh, experiences, friends, acquaintances that I've picked up from, from the show. So those are all memorable for me. Yeah, yeah. No, I think uh, you know, looking at the the stable of guests, you know, if we think of them that way that we've had over over the five year run, I mean, it's really a very impressive list of people. Um, both sort of uh, people who are important historically, 
um, who are well-known, people who are important historically for sort of, um, you know, specific innovations or specific games and specific genres that are maybe not as well-known, but are really well-known sort of to developers or to people who are big fans of the genres. And then I think, yeah, like a lot of interesting newer people uh, who are, you know, starting studios or doing some of their first games or uh, even some really interesting sort of gamer culture folks mm-hmm. over the years, I think, that uh, have been on the show. I mean, if there's one thing I'm kind of most <laughs> most proud of, it's, it's uh, the ability to look back and say, like, wow, look at these you know, 50, 60 people that, uh, we've had a chance to talk to over the years and, uh, who have an association with this thing that we made. Like, I think that's pretty cool. Yep. So, so I know you, you picked out the Avalon interview in particular as one you liked, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I think that was another one of kind of, uh, and that was earlier this year or late last year. That right? was last so year. I, yeah. I mean, I think, late I think some year. of these, some of these, uh, Within the last year or so, some of these these interviews, especially the ones that we did together, um, just the kind of quality of the questions, the the way that we could, and sometimes this is the guests, right? Yeah. But I, I just I'd like to think that um, you know we had good guests, but we also knew how to ask them good questions and good follow ups, and uh, I felt that you know um, doing an inter- doing a show where two people are interviewing someone at the same time can be tough, right? Mm-hmm. Like it can be tough to do that in a way that, uh, you're not kind of competing with one another for questions or you're not, um, the, the interviewer knows who they're responding to all the time, especially when you're over Skype and you don't have face to face. And I think that, uh, you know, we, we kind of got that down really well. I think that some of the interviews over the last year or so, um, were some of the best work we did on, on that regard. Um, I'm, I'm with you where, you know, the kind of regular type show that we did, those, those blurred together, and uh, they were they're fun to do and and sometimes funny and um, you know it, it wasn't probably uncommon for us at least me and I think you two sometimes have a beer or two mm-hmm. we were doing them and um, you know just kind of spitball things off the top of our head or respond to the form but I, I think the best work was when we kind of took it very seriously and um, did some research and came up with really good questions and and thought about guests to bring on that we thought would give us good answers and, and plan accordingly yeah and I don't know if we ever even mentioned it on the show but like after talking to Chris Evelyn for one he you know, we finished recording. It's like, you know what, guys? I really appreciate that. That was a, a fun interview, even for me, as you guys didn't ask me the same old crap I'd always get asked. So he was, he actually, you know, he didn't do it just for marketing reasons or PR or just because he felt he had to. He got done with the interview and generally, genuinely, at least it seems so, or he said so, enjoyed the discussion we had. So, uh, and he's, you know, as far as computer RPGs and such go, he, you know, he's the, the writer for, you know, Planescape. Torment, which is one of the most beloved computer RPGs. So getting someone like that who makes games that you know a lot of us love uh, is pretty rewarding. And I think uh, Jordan Wiseman listened to some of our shows before he came on to kind of check us out. And he's you know the one that made Mech Warrior and, and BattleTech and Shadowrun. And so he's also big in his, his own different way. And he's like, oh, I really like the, the you know the kind of shows and interviews you guys do. So it, it made me interested to come on and talk to you. So. Getting that kind of feedback from, you know, some of them are just like, yeah, I'll do the interview, okay, because, you know, it's for my game. I need to help, you know, it's free publicity. Mm-hmm. But uh, we actually got, you know, interested feedback from these guys out of their own busy schedules to come and talk to us and, and kind of the enjoyment at least seemed reciprocated uh, both ways. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, and maybe that's a, a useful place to transition into this next thing because one, one of the things that uh, that kind of happened unexpectedly 
uh, over the years is that uh, some of the guests that uh, we spoke to are people who um, had a lot to say in the interview about this topic or that topic, but that uh, sort of kept in contact with after the show because they said they enjoyed the interview or they, you know, thought the questions were good or they uh, appreciated the approach that, that you or I both took to to, to speaking with them. Um, and so, you know, some, some of these people over time I sort of kept up with and uh, was able to pretty easily uh, talk to them uh, to, to uh, do a, a longer form interview for a book that uh, I put together uh, that's a, sort of a more academically focused book but has a lot of interviews in it um, that, uh, you know, it became sort of part of my professional uh, life. And certainly when I started the podcast, that was not at all uh, an inkling and, and this was purely hobbyist. But uh, as my academic work was able to shift towards some some game stuff uh having those connections proved really kind of fruitful right uh and uh and i and it also allowed me to to make you know connections to other people right so uh to people who i talked to for the book project that i didn't talk to on the show sometimes would speak to me because they knew that i had spoken to some of these other people and those people had good things to say about the show or style of interviewing or, or those kinds of things so um you know i certainly got some unexpected kind of professional help uh from from some of the quality work that we did over time and and that's been you know another kind of real, real valuable thing to pull from the show but and and so uh, that's why I was saying to segue into this this last segment, which was a discussion of what we might be doing next. Um, and we, we, me, and you have talked a little bit about this uh, through texts and so forth, and we'll probably continue to talk about it a little bit uh, after the mic is, is turned off. But uh, we we haven't necessarily conceded that you that we are done for all time having uh, a podcast of some sort or some kind of a game discussion thing <laughs> uh, moving forward. Um, but I think that the, whatever we may or you know, we may not, but whatever we may do in the future uh, would be significantly different enough and format different enough and, and focus different enough that it doesn't really make sense for it to still be the racket boy podcast or, or to be associated with the, the racket boy site per se. So, uh, you know, we, we would certainly let people who listen to the show now know if and, and when that might happen. Um, I wouldn't expect anything really soon, but, um, you know, be, partially because we have all of these connections and relationships and we've enjoyed what we've done and we've enjoyed uh, doing it with one another, I don't think we're necessarily interested in dissolving what's a, a productive, fruitful thing for all time or something like that. But I think that in its current form, it's it's kind of reached its end. And uh, so so that's one thing that you can hopefully look forward to in, in the future is, is hearing from us in some form or fashion in the, in the future. Um. Other other things. What are your thoughts on that, or what, what what do you want to let folks know as you think about you know yeah. what, what you might be doing in the future? Well, another thing it's led to is I <clears throat> I am like we've mentioned on rpgamer.com. So uh, basically, me being involved in this show and getting some of that experience, and I I love RPGs. Probably my favorite genre. You know, I, I play sports games and stuff as well. But that kind of helped me seek out to get kind of more of this through in, in more particular in the, in the genre I like and it's a site I followed so uh, talking with them and kind of giving them some guest writing I, I did I eventually uh, earned a spot on the staff there and I do previews and interviews you know kind of like what I do here but uh, usually Q&A written interviews over there and 
Uh, so that kind of springboard or sprung board or however you want to say it, me on to rpgamer.com. And uh, I'm going to Pack South in January, the first Pack South here in San Antonio, Texas, uh, to to interview and check out games and probably have a whole bunch of, uh, writing, uh, write-ups and, and, uh, impressions and such from there, uh, on, on that website. And you can also follow me on Twitter at jmustang where I'll post more of my RP gamer thoughts and articles as I, ha- uh, as they occur. Um, but, uh, like actually there's an interview I have right now. I, it's not announced yet or, or that I've actually finished with Vic Ireland. From working designs and uh, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, now with Gaijin Works, uh, yeah, and I have that done. I just need to get it edited and posted and formatted and all that good stuff. So that's something to look to forward to here at the end of the year, early January, maybe when I when I get that all together. So I'm still continuing to do that. So if you like RPGs and you want to hear more from me, you can follow me there. And uh, uh, I'd still be interested in working with Dave. Uh, something in the future, uh, hopefully, something we wouldn't have to produce or edit. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's certainly part of it. It'd be nice if someone just uh, gave us a mic and uh, lined up our. You know, we told them like, "Go get this person." They brought that person to us. Let us talk to them. Paid for, uh, paid us to do it. And you know, uh, just, I don't need to be paid, thing. but I'll do it for fun. <laughs> well, why not? If we're if we're gonna you know pie in the sky, right? So. Uh, It'd be nice to just have crew doing all the stuff that we don't like. Do that for us. Set us in front of the mic. Let us talk to people, and then send us a check at the end. Of the Dave month, wants right? all the fun, no work. All, that's right. No, that, all, that's all play, ideal. no work. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, no. I, I think uh, I don't think this will be the last time we we talk about games together. Certainly. So, um, uh, so well, speaking of writing, I, I mentioned uh, that you know I segue the show into a book that that comes out uh this coming summer uh, it's called thinking about video games interviews with the experts uh and then i i also uh will probably turn a bit more to writing about games in general uh you know again because some of my some of my academic work has shifted that way um and i've, I've put out some journal article stuff about games that people listen to the show may or may not find especially interesting and uh sort of more academic focused but what i'm trying to do is is kind of follow uh, a model of of uh, a lot of uh, other you know people who are in academia that I admire, which is to you know yes do academic work for that audience, but to also um, keep one foot in in writing for more popular audiences. So um, like earlier this year, I had a an article on Kotaku right about beating games, mm-hmm. and and uh, I have a chapter coming out in a book about uh, shooters, um, largely about first person shooters, but my chapter is about um, Battle Gorega. And uh, it's not an academic book in any way. It's a popular press ebook. It's a sort of small format thing. But um, I, I think I'll continue to do that. I think I'll continue to kind of work on um, stuff professionally related to games, at least for a while. I don't know that I want to do that for my entire professional academic life, but for now. Um, but also, you know, continue to do some things that, that hopefully find popular audiences as well um, that uh, allow me to write for that crowd as you know. Generally, that stuff's been well received, so I want to continue to do that. Uh, I always, I always thought and still think that as much as I like podcasting, uh, I'm much better at putting my thoughts together in a cohesive, useful way when I can write them down as opposed to spew them off the top of my head. <laughs> I think I generally like talking better than writing. I think I can write fairly well when I really put the effort into it, but I have the whole getting started 
uh, lethargy or whatever you want to call it with writing that once I get going, it's not so bad, but starting is rough. Yeah. So if I can just sit down and talk, uh, I can get my thoughts out without going through all the formatting and editing and of, you know, sentence structure and making the sentence look nice and, and what, what have you. I can sit here and put my thoughts out there. And, and I think having talking verbally also leads to better, quicker debate and discussion where instead of back and forth, uh, writing, I, I think I, I do better in that regard, but writing, I guess you can sit there and research a little more and get more uh, concise thoughts and make sure you don't say something on accident that you didn't really mean, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or at least sometimes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, so uh, I think I think in terms of the future, uh, that you know, John and I aren't uh, going to give up an interest in uh, producing things about games for people to read or listen to. I think that uh, that 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 will continue. But the show, uh, I think, reached its end, and uh, you know, I've enjoyed doing it uh, for five years. I've enjoyed doing it, especially for the last few with you, yep. and uh, I'm very very proud of the work that we've done as a whole. It's fun. Hopefully, they stay up and can be accessed. So, so. yeah, yeah, I think it's uh, it'll be a good archive. Uh, uh, hopefully, it can stick around for a while. Um, I, I have local copies of it all anyway. So, if not, maybe in the future, if if future generations are listening to this, <laughs> want to uh, they can no longer find the bulk of the episodes or certain ones. Uh, there should be some some copies floating around somewhere. I'll have anyway. So. Uh, feel free to get in touch and, and request them. At the minimum, we should preserve the interviews, of course, as some of our banter yeah. is more uh, time-sensitive and topical for when we were talking about it. But uh, some of it not, some of it was. You know, who cares five years from now what, sure, what game right. we got last week, you know? But right. uh, I think some of the interview questions, even some of the interviews aren't that relevant anymore after the game's way been out. But there's some questions we asked uh, some of the some of our guests where I think they're just generally good questions and uh, are informative. So yeah, well, and most of our interviews were not very much focused about a particular game. Uh, some of the PAX ones were as a matter of necessity. Yeah. But I think I think generally the other episodes we we tended to focus on whatever they were there to promote for a very small percentage of the interview, which is part of the reason why they probably enjoyed them and why we thought they were more interesting. So. <laughs> but uh, anyway, well, so I, I guess that'll go ahead and do it uh, for this episode and, and for the show. Um, any, any final parting thoughts, John? Uh, no, thanks to you. Thanks for our listeners. Um, thanks to Apple for putting all that hard work into the editing. I know that uh, it was a lot of, uh, work and not a lot of glory or fun, but uh, we certainly appreciated not having to do them because spending hours on the show away from our family and then spending hours editing the show away from our family in our free time is uh, it was definitely time consuming. And I know uh, definitely for Dave, he, he did much more editing than I did. Um, but uh, definitely uh, appreciate all that in the interest, you know, sitting here doing something like this, talking about it, and then actually having people wanting to listen to what you say is uh, a pretty cool feeling. So. Uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah. And I, I would echo all of those things and uh, just, you know, thank thank everyone for the support over the years and for uh, both uh, positive comments as well as we'll, we'll call them constructive comments. <laughs> and uh, uh, and I think that, uh, you know, part of what this made show made this show fun to do and, and part of what 
uh, hopefully made it a good show was uh, was the feedback of, of of all of you. So we we appreciate that, and uh, we certainly want to keep you informed of what we're doing in the future, and, and hope that you find it <laughs> enjoyable as well. Um, and uh, I don't know how long I'll, uh, you know, I won't take this down, but I'll probably cease posting uh, on the at Racket Boy Pod CST Twitter feed. Uh, I'll post this episode and uh, maybe from time to time I'll put something up there. But uh, I think otherwise, the best way to, to keep in touch uh, with me would be to, to follow me on Twitter um, at Dr. Heineman. It's H-E-I-N-E-M-A-N. Uh, Dr. Just D-R. And uh, John, I know you mentioned Twitter earlier did you give your twitter handle yeah it's at j mustang 1968 yeah so that would be a good place to keep up with us uh otherwise if you're uh you know kicking around the racket boy forums i guess imagine we'll both still be there uh at least for the foreseeable future and uh you know we, we hope you keep in touch uh, i'd love to hear what you think of this last episode and uh if you in the comments for this have uh, thoughts on an episode that you like the most over the years uh you know, we'd be certainly appreciative if you could share that as well. But uh, I guess that'll do it for the Racket Boy podcast. And uh, there won't be a next time. Don't cry, but, Dave. Uh, Don't cry. Yeah, I won't cry. But here's some uh, here's some music to to play off the show and hopefully keep you in the mood for a long time to come.